Today is uh, the last day in our message series on the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, we've seen throughout this series that the fruit of the Spirit has to do with, with growing more like Jesus. And Jesus perfectly displayed the fruit of the Spirit in his life, and so when you grow the fruit of the Spirit, you grow to be more like him. The fruit is the outward manifestation of an internal transformation that's taking place. It's, it's called the fruit of the Spirit because it's the result of the Spirit's work in our progressive sanctification. It's His work within us, the result of us walking in step with the Spirit. And it serves as, our, as part of our witness to the world. Though we've already looked at the rest of the fruit of the Spirit, so today we come to the last fruit in the list, and that's the fruit of self-control. So, um, Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 26, page 1239 of the Pew Bible. Let's read our scripture passage together again. Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 26, page 1239 of the Pew Bible. God's word says, But I say, walk by the spirits, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So the fruit of the Spirit is, is a change of our character that comes about because of the Holy Spirit's work within us. We don't become a Christian on our own, and we can't grow on our own either. Philippians 2.13 says, It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Every good thing we do is the fruit of the Spirit's work in our lives. And that includes the fruit of self-control. We all recognize the need for self-control, don't we? We all do. I mean, the lack of self-control is pretty, is pretty easy to spot, especially when we're young. Imagine a scene that most of us are pretty familiar with. A small child throwing a tantrum, a meltdown, throwing toys and screaming. I don't want to! Give it back, but I want it! Tell him to stop. Just because they didn't get their, their own way or, or didn't get 
what they wanted. And as annoying as that may be as a parent or, or somebody who has to sit next to it, it's even worse if it's not corrected. If it's not corrected later, it's even worse. Fast forward to that same child 20 years later in the workforce, later in life. This future self, one without self-control, is having another tantrum. Now, they're yelling in the face of their soon-to-be ex-boss who's making them rewrite a report. Self-entitled. No self-control and now no job either. A different version, one with self-control, would have taken that criticism from their boss. Maybe they would have controlled their emotions a little bit and, and they would have complied with respect. Even from a, a secular point of view, we, we all see the need for self-control. But for a Christian, having self-control is part of growing like Christ. It is the evidence that we are indeed a new creation. So let's look at, at uh, self-control together. So what, what is it? The Greek word is enkratia. Enkratia means self-mastery, self-constraint, cont continence. It's translated as temperance in the, in the King James Version. Self-control is exactly what it sounds like. It is the ability to control oneself. For Christians, however, uh, self-control is not merely about temperament. It's about resisting the temptation to break God's law, which includes losing our temper. It means the power to keep sin in check. The power to restrain your sin in thought, in word, and in deed. It involves moderation, constraint, and the ability to say no to our desires and our, our fleshly lusts. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, the apostle wrote about bringing, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. Since thoughts lead to actions, that includes controlling ourselves completely despite the pulls of temptation. Self-control. Romans 7.23 describes it this way in the NLT. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Paul is describing this pull of human nature that makes us think that it's natural to sin. We have to remember that natural is part of, of this world. And it's temporarily, temporarily run by Satan, the God of this world. Therefore, as godly Christians, we recognize that self-control includes abstaining from the evils of the world. 1 John 2.15 1 John 2.15 through 17. Do not love the world, or, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. 
What is self-control? Is a fruit of the Spirit. Once we've been shown, once we've been shown God's spiritual way of life, it is the active effort that we put forth to resist temptation, to go back to the ways of the world around us. The active effort that we put forth to resist that temptation to go back. It is demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Instead of committing the works of the flesh that are described in verses 19 through 21, we need self-control. We all need self-control. So we need to find the source for it. As, we, as, we, as with each of the fruit of the Spirit, we always begin with God because the fruit of the Spirit are rooted in His character. So we're going to start there, self-control and God. God is root and, and we bear the fruits. And so what does the Bible tell us about self-control and God? Well, first thing that we need to get out of the way, and I'm not going to go into too much detail t- right now, but God is in control. He is sovereign over everything. He is in perfect control. Everything. Sovereign over all. And everything is held together by the power of his word. He has ultimate, perfect control. God exercises self-control of his wrath against sin. If you have any question whether God has self-control, look no further than man's sin. Adam and Eve had perfect union with God in the garden, didn't they? Perfect union. Able to walk and talk with him personally. Personally right there in his presence. Yet in spite of that intimate relationship, they chose to disobey him. To reject his command. Disregard his warning of death. After all of his love and care for them, they choose, they choose to go against him, to believe the lives of Satan and to pursue their own sinful desires. They eat from the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Does he react with the, with the emotion of outrage at their betrayal? Did he have the right to? Did he feel the emotions of the moment? The disappointment? The disappointment in Adam for not maintaining his leadership role. He put man there to be the leader. And he he shrank back and he let his wife take that place. The disappointment in Adam. The sadness for for not remaining under the protection that that offered. The betrayal. The disrespect of their actions against him. Grief, grief for the penalty that he knew that they would now suffer. Anger and rage against, against the serpent that deceived them. Righteous indignation against the sin that they all committed. Does God erupt in a fit of anger? Does he send bolts of lightning down from heaven to incinerate them on the spot? Does he bellow with thunderous voice from heaven? Rage. No. No. What does he do? Genesis 3.21 
And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. He doesn't react to the injustice with an emotional response that is out of control. Did he have the right to? Sure. He's God. He is holy. He gave a command. They chose to disobey. Now, does this mean that he wasn't angry or was overlooking their sin? That he will let unrepentant sin go unpunished? Absolutely not. God sees all sins, and they are a revolting offense to him. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Proverbs 24, 12. In the NLT, it says, don't excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know. For God understands all hearts, and he sees you. He who guards your soul knows you knew. He will repay all people as their actions deserve. Romans, Romans 2.5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He sees sin. He sees it all. No one is going to get away with it. Does God react with uncontrolled anger toward us? Toward us in our sin? When we rebel against his word, we choose our fleshly desires? No, at least not yet. He is in perfect control. Adam and Eve still faced consequences for their sin. The judgment was immediate, but the wrath was delayed. Because God has a greater purpose in mind. God has a greater purpose in mind to offer redemption instead of retribution. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Not that he won't judge unrepentant sin. He will. And they will feel the full brunt of his wrath. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, that all should reach repentance. God is in perfect control because he is perfect and he has a perfect plan. Romans 2.4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? He controls 
his wrath and his judgment now in order to offer mankind an opportunity to be redeemed through his son. He is withholding his wrath for now. Self-control over the wrath that we all deserve. It's given us opportunity. Of course, Jesus is our perfect example of self-control. Jesus demonstrated perfect self-control in his life. The fruit of the Spirit is a picture of Jesus who perfectly reflects the character of God. And when we look at God, we see that Jesus demonstrated perfect self-control in his life here. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. In all the, in all the, the trials and the temptations of life, Jesus exercised, exercised perfect self-control. In order to pay the penalty for our sins, Jesus had to live a sinless life. He had to live a sinless life. That required constant self-control the help of God. Even in the face of, of blatant temptation by the devil in the desert who offered him the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and, and the pride of life, Jesus remained in control. We see other examples of Jesus' self-control. Driving out the money changers in the temple in Matthew 21, 12. He could have smote them on the spot for corrupting his father's house. They're lucky all he did was throw them out. In the garden, when he chose God's will over his own, not my will, but your will. Perfect self-control. When he could have called a, a legions of angels to rescue him, but he didn't. At his trial, when he could have defended himself, but he chose to remain silent. On the cross when he chose to forgive those who were crucifying him. By not bringing himself down from that cross. To allow God's will to happen in the perfect way that had been planned. Not his way. God's way. He suffered all those things. Perfect self-control. Not your will. Not my will. Your will be done. In everything he did, Jesus demonstrated perfect self-control in his life. Praise him for that. Because without it, we would still all be under the penalty of death for our sins. With all the, the fruit of the Spirit, Jesus Christ is the only perfect example. He is the one that we need to follow in demonstrating self-control. Next, self-control and sin. The battle is real. 
Verse 17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. Walking in the spirit is key for us in this life. But that doesn't always come easily. Often it's, it's a real battle. There's a battle going on inside each Christian. The battle is between the flesh and the spirit. Paul writes, they are opposed to each other. They don't get along. They don't get along at all. When the flesh is winning the inside battle, you don't do the things that you should do or or that you even want to do. You don't live in step with the Spirit. There is no love. There is no joy or peace. We are impatient and we're unloving and we're unkind We're hard and abrasive instead of gentle. Our motives are selfish and and lack goodness. We are unfaithful to that we've committed ourselves to. Instead, instead we take part, we, we, we partake in the works of the flesh. Sexual immorality, purity, sexuality idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. You all have your own secret sin. All of these things are evidence you live under the control of the flesh instead of under the spirit. There is a constant battle going on between the spirit and the flesh. Tug of war between what God desires for us and and what we want to do. There are areas of our lives that are more or less in control than others, right? Areas of weakness, fleshly desires, temptation that each of us have, even if they're different. We all have our our own brand, don't we? fact, that's the, the way, whole way temptation works. Temptation attacks you through your old sinful desires. James 1. James 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Sexual immorality. Cheating on your spouse. Sex outside of marriage. The impurity talked about here can include impure motives. Manipulation, selfishness. The word sorcery is a word pharmacia. It's not limited to witchcraft, but also the use of mind-altering drugs. All types of evil toward others, anger and strife and jealousy and envy. We give in to these things because that's what our flesh desires. We fall into sinful behaviors because we lack self-control. 
We're, we were slaves to the sin according to, to Romans 6.6. 6. It may be easy to recognize these, these big temptations of, of the flesh. Some of those that we just named. There, there are others that we, that we often think are smaller ones, too. Ones that we, many of us, practice every day. When we overeat, we lack self-control. When we procrastinate, we put things off to the last minute and we rush to get it done, we lack self-control. When we stay up late watching TV or surfing the internet, checking our Facebook or Instagram, when we need to go to sleep because we have work in the morning, we lack self-control. When we constantly work and we don't take a Sabbath day's rest, we lack self-control. When we're saved by Christ's sacrifice, we, we are set free. Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And that freedom includes, among other things, freedom from sin. Romans 6.6. 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Even the old man was crucified with Christ and is dead and gone. His influence lives on through the flesh. And he will battle against us until we experience God's final antidote the flesh, the resurrection body. But until then, the Spirit gives us self-control, and we can refuse to sin. The fruit of self-control is the God-given ability to avoid sin and excesses, to stay within the boundaries that God has given us. With the Spirit's help, we can do what is right in the sight of God, despite our desires. So who's in control? Who's in control? Is it the flesh or is it the Spirit? But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Self-control in the Christian. Why does God want us to demonstrate self-control? The reason God wants us to grow in self-control ties in with all the other fruit of the Spirit listed here in Galatians. We're in a battle. I already mentioned that. Against all we read from 1 John 2.16, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's Satan's idea for the world. God's idea for the world, on the other hand, includes having everyone demonstrate the fruit of the Holy Spirit. One of the proofs of God working in our lives is the, is the ability to control our own thoughts and our words and our actions. Our, our fallen nature is under the influence of sin. Believers need self-control because the outside world and the internal forces 
still attack us. Proverbs 27, 12. Proverbs 27, 12. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Proverbs 25, 28. Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Like Like a vulnerable city, we must have defenses. A wall around an ancient city was designed to keep out the enemy. Judges at the gates determined who should be allowed in and, and who, should be, who should be kept out. Soldiers and gates enforced those decisions. In our lives, these defenses might include avoiding close relationships with bad influences. Instead, meeting with other believers. Maybe not hanging out in that pool hall or that tavern where you're going to convert your old drinking buddies, right? Maybe you need to change your TV or your, or your radio station. Maybe put a, a filter on your internet. Maybe have child protection things on your phones that you give to your kids. You have phones. You know the access that is there. Do you have safeguards in place for them? Do you have safeguards in place for yourself so that you don't accidentally stumble across something? As long as I'm here, maybe you need to unsubscribe from cable TV, HBO, and Cinemax. Maybe instead you should be meditating on the life-giving Word of God and then submitting to it. We don't exhibit self-control if we continually dally with those things which would enslave us. Why would you risk playing with fire? We need walls of defense. We need walls of defense. Self-control. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 10. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Self-control, 
naturally leads to perseverance. As we value the long-term good instead of the instant gratification of the world. Self-control is a gift that frees us. It frees us to enjoy the benefits of a healthy body. It frees us to rest in the security of good stewardship. To have self-control with your body, with what you put in your mouth, what you eat, what you drink, what medicines or or drugs you put in. Exercise self-control, and then you can rest having a healthy body. Not have to worry about the effects of those things. Self-control in your spending. Wow, we're broke. Of course, you just spent $400 at Target. Another $250 on Amazon on what? Stuff. Frees us from a guilty conscience. Self-control restricts the indulgence of our foolish desires. We find the liberty to love and to live as we're meant to. And it can be the most powerful part of our witness to the world. Our world doesn't know anything about self-control. They know about control. They want to control others, but they don't know about self-control. Everyone just does whatever they want, whatever they desire. Angry outbursts when they don't get their way. Dissensions. We're going to protest. Taking over a college campus and demanding professors be fired because they're told something that they don't agree with. Did you just hear about the college in New York, private college? They just took over the campus buildings. Yeah, they want all the fire, the professors fired. They want everyone who attends to get an A, regardless of whether or not they attended class. And then they want the president's house deemed equal property for all, public property for all. What is going on? Satan. No self-control. Mom and dad never taught them that they needed to exercise self-control. Rampant premarital sex. Homosexuality. Transgenderism. All kinds of immorality. Ponzi schemes and cryptocurrency. Insider stock trading. Defund the police. Criminal justice reform. Well, it's just not my fault. I mean, I'm a victim of the man. Right? No self-control. I don't have any responsibility in this. Unlimited abortion. Recreational marijuana. My body, my choice. Can't expect me to, to carry this child. I mean, I had plans for my future, and this is just not a convenient time. Birth control? Well, you, can't, you can't seriously expect people to... Abstinence? Are you serious? You can't seriously expect people to abstain from sex? Come on. Get real. 
Name a time that we've had worldwide peace. The world doesn't know how to exhibit self-control. How much different from the world should we look to exercise self-control over every area of our lives? I mean, here's an example. Imagine, imagine this exchange from somebody from the world. This buddy, probably at that tavern or that pool hall that you, know, you used to hang out in. I yelled at that Christian the other day. Guess what he did? That idiot just smiled at me, and he blessed me. That crazy Christian is always wanting to pray for people. You know that they volunteer, and they, and they, 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 they spend their time helping those, those wretched people downtown? Right. They're at church every Sunday, too. Every Sunday. Don't they know it's football season? There, there, is, there is something different about them. Hmm. Yes, we're supposed to be different. 1 Peter 2.12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Matthew 5.16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are to be a picture of Christ that will draw people to him. Why is self-control last in the fruit of the Spirit? Perhaps it's because self-control ties in with each of the other fruit of the Spirit. It takes self-control to show true godly love instead of lust or infatuation. To love others not as the world loves, but to love as Christ loved. Ephesians 5.2 And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Take self-control to have godly joy when you're facing a difficult situation in your life. 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Joy beyond your situation, beyond your circumstances. Take self-control to get along with others and make peace. Instead of constantly getting into conflict, Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Take self-control to patiently bear with others rather than quickly condemning them. It's very hard to be patient with all as 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 tells us to. Unless you've got the fruit of the Spirit working in you. 
take self-control to not automatically look out only for yourself, but to kindly look out for other people. Philippians 2.4, let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Take self-control to do good, to go through the narrow gate rather than the evil wide gate that leads to destruction. Take self-control to be faithful, not have our faith shattered by the mocking of scoffers. 2 Peter 3, 3-4. Where is the promise of His coming? People who make fun of our faith. Take self-control not to buy into the lies. To remain faithful. Take self-control to be a gentle servant of the Lord. 2 Timothy 2.24, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Showing compassion and mercy with real love as God does with us. Self-control is, is a work of God through the Holy Spirit in us. It's part of the progressive sanctification that we undergo. In many ways, it's, it's, like, it's like a baby. It's like a baby that lacks self-control. It's how we are when we, when we first come to Christ, right? Before we have the fruit of the Spirit working in us. We, we lack, a baby lacks self-control. Think about it. They have to wear a diaper. Why? They don't have self-control. They don't have self-control over their arms and their legs so they can't walk and they have to be carried everywhere, right? Can't even feed themselves. It's a critical component that is intertwined with the other fruit. And as we, as we grow, as we mature, we begin to walk. We begin to have self-control. We can walk. And then we can begin to feed ourselves. We no longer need to be fed a bottle. We can feed ourselves. We can choose. What am I going to do with my free time today? Am I going to play on my phone or am I going to feed myself? We begin to walk. And then we continue to grow we mature so that we can run with faith, with endurance, the race that is set before us. So we come to the end of our series on the fruits of the Spirit. And over the last 10 weeks, we've looked carefully at each of the fruits, seeing how they relate to God and to Jesus and to ourselves. Is a character of Jesus that God grows in you. Together, the fruit of the Spirit paint a beautiful portrait of Christ. Jesus perfectly, perfectly reflects the character of God. God wants you and I to reflect that same character. The fruit of the Spirit begins with love and it ends with self-control. Love comes first because it contains all the others. 
Self-control is important, but it means nothing without love. Love for God. Love for Jesus. Love for other people. Pray that you will ask God to help you grow more like Jesus. And self-control and in every other area, fruit of the Spirit. That you may be a powerful witness for Christ. It's part of why we have these fruit. So that we are different. So the world looks at us, says there's something different about them. Why don't they react with anger? How are they able to bite their tongue? How are they able to forgive? I could never forgive somebody if they did that to me. How are they able to show genuine love for people they don't even know? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. As people of faith chapel, let us live in step with the Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you again thankful for your word, thankful for the truth, thankful that it is a mirror that we can hold up to ourselves. We can see the areas where we are failing, and we can see whether or not we are reflecting that image of Christ. Father God, I pray that you would help through the working of the Holy Spirit within us Help us to grow, to manifest this fruit that we would be different, that people would see us as different, that we would not be the same as them, that that could be a powerful witness for you, that that would give us opportunity to show how they can be different too. They could come to know the grace, the mercy, and the love that is offered you have, you have exhibited self-control over wrath. Forgiveness is available. Redemption is available. But Father, one day, one day, your wrath will be unleashed. Father, I pray that we would, we would be obedient to our call to, to reach as many for the kingdom as we can before that happens. Father, I pray that you would help all of this happen for your glory, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the, the gift of your, your Son. I give you praise for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.